Okay, let's do the damn thing. Okay. Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. Plastic doesn't plastic clink. clinks. <laughs> hey, Em. Hey, what, Sarah. Uh, what are we drinking? We're drinking this 19 Crimes wine. Ooh. It says, each declared by His Majesty to be punishable on conviction by transportation. His Majesty? Who are I we talking about? I think that this is an Australian wine. Oh, okay. Do yeah, they have a king South there? Southeastern Australian os. Mm-hmm. But it's a Cabernet. Um, it's a cab. And so these are cool. We got to actually do it. Apparently there's like an app or something that you can scan like the picture of it and it tells you about the. The crime the, that the, was committed. The, yeah. The crime that was committed. So there's pictures on each bottle and it's like a different picture for each kind of wine. So on this cab, we have this guy. Oh, okay. It's like a mugs mug shot of sorts. Yeah. So this is like a real guy who committed a real crime and you can look it up. So And we're not even being paid by I, this company to advertise them so no, well right now. But I will give a quick shout out. Please. Um because I had heard about this, but then, you know, never actually did anything with it and was telling people like, Oh yeah, you can do this thing on the internet. But um three spooked girls mm-hmm. they actually commented on our picture and was like, It's I an saw app, that. you should do it. Well, hey, thanks, Three Spooked Girls, yeah. from the two lightweight true crime girls, the, the podcast. Two drunk girls. Two drunk girls, where two girls share a drink and, and a story. story. Um, I know, right? Our ex- executive producer, Ryan, is so impressed that we know, remember so that. At the same at, at the same time, time, it's also been a minute since we recorded because of the holidays. Holidays. Um, and you can tell that it's been a minute since we recorded because I had not done any laundry in a very long time because I didn't have uh ryan and emily's house to come over to to do laundry it's true and uh it really hit me how long it's been when last night i was preparing to go to bed and realized i had no clean underwear to sleep in and um at i am almost 29 years old and the solution that i came up with was that i wore because i wear a t-shirt to bed that i wore um my black bikini bottoms oh my to gosh. sleep in. <laughs> Because I, I was like, I'll go to yeah. Ryan and Lisa tomorrow and do all my laundry. See, 29. I would just not almost. wear underwear, but I wear pants. Yeah, so, like, you wear it pants would be weird. Yeah, it would be free and easy. Yeah. I this is good. I hope potential employers find this podcast. Yes. Uh, to hear me talk about this. But yeah, yeah. no, that's excellent. Um, it's also worth mentioning that we drank this wine at our uh, podcast launch party. We did. We had a cute little podcast launch party. And what did we do? Adam? We had a murder mystery party. And it was so much and fun. our executive producer, Ryan, was one of the murderers. He was one of the murderers, but he kind of immediately gave it away because the way you knew you were a murderer is in your envelope. You had all the clues where if you were just a participant, you had one clue and he immediately opened his envelope and said, Oh my gosh, there's so many papers in here. So there and were our, our dear friend. Joey was like, he, he played it really cool he did play because it I cool. didn't know he knew, but the whole time apparently he knew because he heard Ryan exclaim about all the clues he had. That's a good thing about Joey though. He's not going to say anything. Yeah. And the whole time I was actually really convinced that Joey was the murderer because he kept spitting out all these things and i was like he's got a lot of information yeah he must have all the clues but really he was just like making stuff up and it worked it worked it threw me off it really worked but it was a great time yeah we're very excited to be recording this our 11th episode and very grateful for those of you who have waited through our nonsense to listen to us tell each other stories and you guys will be listening to it in almost real time seriously we're catching up because today's monday it is monday january 6th be listening on Wednesday, the year January. of our Lord, 2020. Eighth. This is 2020. I'm Barbara Walters. Year. It's a fake year. It feels like a fake year. Yeah, that's true. It's one we've you been know? looking forward to for a while. Like, you know, in like the 90s, you'd be like, oh, 2020. In 2020, there will be flying cars. Yeah. There's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, we hate to break it to you. Yeah. There are not. There's not. If you are seeing flying cars, please call your doctor. <laughs> 
Amazing. Um, I think it's your okay. turn to go first. It is my this week, turn. Emily. Tell me a true crime story while I drink this red wine. Yeah. Also, I think it's worth noting that our executive producer made us start drinking uh, before the podcast because he says we tell stories better when we've had a bit. Yeah. So I'm already a little tipsy. So I hope I don't confuse y'all too much. I hope you do. So this is the story of a documentary that used to be on Netflix and it's not anymore. But you can Google it. It's on YouTube. It's called Into the Abyss. Okay, keep going. I might know. So I randomly found this when it was on Netflix. And just like one day, super late at night, when we were in college, I lived in that house with Ryan's (laughs) ex-girlfriend. Hey, Lex. (laughs) They were probably dating at the time. And so I was like really depressed because I was in love with Ryan. Mm. And so I sat on my bed that was like those like it wasn't like a bunk bed so it wasn't like super high up but you still had to climb on something to get onto it it was like sort of lofted like, like yeah like captain's, oh, captain's height, height or something yeah. um so i was sitting in there like under all my blankets watching this and just like at the end just bawling my eyes out and i don't really cry at movies or anything so we'll talk about it. i just wanted to give you guys a right. little context that's a good mental picture okay so this is um michael perry and jason perquette um and conroe texas so um michael and jason were eventually arrested for murder and so i'm just gonna kind of go through the timeline of what happened and what led up to the murder so um october 24th 2001 19 years ago um michael and jason show up at their acquaintance's house so this guy named adam they show up at his house and their plan is to say that they need a place to crash for the night and then while everyone was asleep they would steal Adam's mom's red Camaro. So their goal is they're going to get this red Camaro. Um, But when they get there, they realize that Adam's not home. And so they, instead of just like, oh, oh, well, guess we can't steal this car. They come up with a different plan. And so their plan was that Jason was going to go to the front door and say that their car broke down and he was going to ask to borrow the phone. Um, And then Adam's mom would let him in. Um, Her name was Sandra. And then Michael would go in through the back of the house and just steal the car. This at the same time both seems like a genius first time crime plan mm-hmm. and a moronic first time crime yeah. plan. Because everyone there knows that it would be you who stole the yep. car and knows who, who yep. you are. So, so easy access, but also yeah. really stupid. I don't I actually don't know if this is Jason's first crime, but it's not uh, it's not Michael's first. How crime. old are they? They're like 19. OK. So I think one would hope it was their first time sort of crime. Yeah. Okay. So I know that Michael didn't graduate high school. So he had dropped out at some point. I don't know a ton about Jason because there's not a ton out there. Um, So Jason does go up to the door and says, our car broke down. Can I borrow your phone? And so Sandra lets him inside. Um, And so Michael is going to go around the back of the house. um, And then he decides he's actually going to knock on the door. So he knocks on the back door. And Sandra goes out there to, like, see who's knocking on her back door. Um, And so he comes in through the back door, and he ends up shooting her. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so he shoots her, like, in the shoulder. Was that the plan? It wasn't the plan. Okay. But the plan went awry because they were not thinking things through. Obviously. Um, So he shoots her in, like, the shoulder, and she falls, and then he shoots her again. Um, And they decide to wrap her up in all of her bedding oh my gosh put her in the back of their truck um and they're like okay we're, we got to figure out what to do with this body so they take her body to um crater lake which other people have been have called it a pond it's not the crater lake in oregon for those yeah, of you wondering this is texas it's, it's not that yeah it's a different crater lake that's not as mysterious or the Oregon crater or lake. probably it's as beautiful gross. yeah oh yeah yeah no I've seen pictures of it it's like a swamp cool um so they are like okay we don't want to touch her so we're just gonna like back the truck all the way up to like the edge and like slam on our brakes and the body will just fall out okay um it's not a cartoon so that doesn't <laughs> work so they have to like take her body out and put it in the lake and they do a really bad job because they're obviously not thinking this through and they just kind of like like plop her body in and it doesn't really go all the way in the lake it's kind of like on the edge Mm. um and so then they're like okay now we have to like 
Adam is going to know Sandra's son, their acquaintance, Adam Sotler is going to know. So now we got to like figure out what to do. So they go find Adam Sotler and he is with his friend, Jeremy Richardson and they find him. They're hanging out like near Adam's house and they, um, Michael and Jason are like, Hey, our, our mutual friend has been injured in the woods. We went hunting. There's a hunting accident. Can you guys like come, come help us? Um, and so they lead both of them into the woods um, and they shoot them. Oh, my gosh. And they this s- got real yep. bad real fast. Yep. This is really dark. OK. I should have prefaced that. OK. And so they steal Adam's white Isuzu SUV. So now they have two cars. They have the red Camaro and Adam's Isuzu SUV. Um, and they immediately just like go to this bar and start like showing off these cars to people um and they're like giving joy rides to the people at the bar they like show off these guns that they have inside the trunks of the cars so they're like not smart people like they're in this documentary there's um one woman who's like yeah they just like showed up to this bar and said they stole these cars oh they were bragging about yeah. it yeah so okay. they like came and like bragged about how they stole these cars oh my gosh um, so when the police came around, like questioning people, when they figured out that these cars were stolen, all the people at the bar was the like, yeah, Michael and Jason were here with those cars. Yeah. So that was October 24th. Um, on October 26th, Michael um, is arrested for speeding in the Camaro. Oh, my gosh. But he had Adam's license on him. So he said that he was Adam. So he ended up being arrested under the name of Adam Sotler. Oh, my gosh. Okay. They don't really look much alike, so I'm not sure what the cops who were, like, processing him were like, oh, yeah, this this checks out. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, And then on October 30th, Michael, Jason, and some other random guy who isn't really important to the story, so I didn't even write his name down. Um, They're in Adam's Isuzu SUV. Um, and the car, like, gets recognized. Um, How long has the first guy been under arrest by this point? He's let out at some point. Okay. Because so it was just for speeding. Right. Oh, so okay. he was probably, like, held overnight. Okay. And then let out. But I gave us that fact because it will come. Okay. It'll be important later. He's going right. to use it as an alibi. Okay. Um, so Michael, Jason, and some random other guy are in the white Isuzu, and somebody recognizes it. And it's been reported missing. So they, the cops try and pull them over. They don't pull over. So they're on this car chase. Um, and all three of the boys are shooting at police while they're in this car. Oh, my god! So gosh. even whoever is driving is shooting at the police. And so the police are shooting back. So everybody's just shooting. And all three are of the boys are shot, but, like, not fatally. So they're shot, like, in the arms and in the legs. Finally, um, Jason, who is driving, he, like, drives into this building that's, like, some kind of, like, I don't even know what it is. It looks like a business building because it's, like, all, like, glass windows. Um, And um, I think that they, I think all three of them try to, like, run through the building and run away. Um, But they end up being captured and arrested. Um, And then they're um you know questioned about the murders because they're like how did you get these cars um we know that sandra and adam were murdered you have their cars um michael ends up trying to say that no i was already in jail i couldn't have done it even though he was arrested with adam's id and with the camaro yeah so that didn't really work out so they end up both being found guilty um so michael is found guilty and sentenced to death for the murders um, and Jason is found guilty and sentenced to life and will be eligible for parole in 2041. Um, and Jason um, had a lawyer whose um, like assistant fell in love with him. So this assistant... The assistant fell in love with the lawyer or with, with Jason. Jason? So what? if you watch this documentary, no. it's super interesting because... The documentary is, like, about, like, oh, the crime, what happened? And then, like, halfway through, it shifts. And now it's about, like, Jason and his wife and how they met. <gasps> and they're how, married? Yes. So they're married. And she's having a baby. No. So this this documentary his came baby? out in, like, 2006. Like a conjugal visit baby? Maybe. So 
she doesn't say <gasps> because she's like, we've never had a conjugal visit. I'm not going to say how this baby smuggled to be then. sperm. I don't know. Turkey baster of sperm. So I'm going to ha- I'm going to look <laughs> Sorry, up. Sorry, that's really gross. <laughs> that was gross. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I was I, just trying to think about how that's possible. I didn't write down the name of the guy who does the documentary, so I'm going to look it up. Okay. Because he's this really amazing, like, German documentary maker. Um, and he sounds like um, Christoph Waltz. Amazing. Name? Mm-hmm. And so I love Christoph Waltz. Yeah. So part of the reason why I love this documentary, too, is that I just love listening to this guy talk. And yeah. He, like, you can hear him as he, like, questions Jason and Michael and he asks Jason's wife like if you've never had a conjugal visit like how did this baby come to be is it someone else's baby and she just like has this weird creepy smile on her face like I'm not gonna say don't kiss and tell okay don't get pregnant and tell so um on July 1st 2010 so 10 years ago Michael Perry was executed by the state of Texas um, he was the 14th person in Texas to be executed that year. Texas is very and big on the death penalty. July. Oh, boy. So halfway through the year, the state of Texas had already killed 14 people. Wow. The governor at that time, his name was Rick Perry. <laughs> He's in yeah. Donald Trump's cabinet now, yep. I think. <laughs> no relation to Michael Perry, though. Oh, okay, yeah. But... He executed 234 (gasps) death row inmates when he was governor. Just when he was governor? Just when he was governor. Wow. And now he advises our president. Mm. Um, Michael Perry's last meal was three bacon and cheese omelets, three chicken enchiladas. Three bacon and cheese omelets plus three chicken? Okay. Plus three Pepsis. Okay. Three Dr. Peppers and two Cokes. I don't know why three of everything except for Coke. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a little background about Please. Michael. Because like for for me, this this whole story is isn't about like the horrible crime that happened to Sandra and Adam Sottler. It's about the whole story. Yeah. And I think that that's what's really great about this documentary is that he does a really good job of telling the story as a whole like you see a lot of crime documentaries and they're about like either how horrible the murderer was or how sad the crime is or whatever but this documentary does a really good job of telling the whole story yeah and like when you watch it um and you watch him interview michael like you're not like you don't really feel bad for him because he's not very remorseful and he's not really a likable character but like hearing about what he's gone through you like kind of feel for him so at the time of the murder michael was homeless and he had asked jason if he could live with him like in his really tiny trailer and jason was kind of like i don't really want to but he was a really nice guy so he let michael live with him in his tiny trailer um and michael was kind of the instigator of the whole thing um but his biological mother was a drug addict um and he so he was adopted when he was a baby um and his adoptive parents have said that they were not really able to control him like for most of his childhood um he was diagnosed with ADD and antisocial personality disorder when he was a kid wow um so when he was in first grade he was diagnosed with ADD when he was in seventh grade he was diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder in eighth grade he was diagnosed with conduct disorder and then later when he was an adult it kind of turned into anti-personality disorder okay um he was in and out of different residential treatments and private schools um until finally he just dropped out at 18 and they couldn't really force him to go back to school anymore so that's when he ended up being homeless and went to jason and asked him for help because they lived in this really small town and everybody kind of knew each other um, he ended up when he was homeless, he didn't really know what to do. So he said he eventually started selling himself to make money. Mm. So he kind of felt like he had nowhere else to turn. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, he ended up being 
like when he was in all of these different schools, he was kicked out of a bunch of them, including something called an outbound class in Florida, which sounded like it was basically like a state run, like juvenile tough love camp. Yeah. yeah. Um, his parents ended up pressing charges on him um, after he kept like stealing things from him, like wow. including their car. Um, because they were like, we don't know what else to do, and this is what's going to get him into a long-term facility. Um, and then when um, when he was finally, um, like, at the, end of, at the end of his rope, when, like, there were kind of no other options for him, um, he went back to his parents, and um, he said that he was going to rape and murder their kids. And so they were like, okay like were really done um and he was he ended up going to this place called casa by the sea in mexico um and he said this place was like super sketchy they would have them like like do all sorts of weird stuff like he tells this story it's like a treatment facility or it's like a, a it's rehab of sorts yeah i think okay. it's some kind of like it's not rehab because it's not for like substance abuse but it's for but like it's for conduct yeah. disorders um and he w- like told this story about them like canoeing down a river with all their stuff and like there were alligators in it i don't know how much of that was true um and so right before all of this happened which i think is kind of what led up to him being desperate enough to steal a car was that um on october 2nd he was arrested for a fake prescription to get 100 pills of xanax so he wow. was kind of at this point where he had just gotten arrested again. He knew that, like, he was out of options. Like, he, he needed money. He was homeless. He was living with this friend. Um, and he was like, we, we got to do something. We got to steal this car. Um, and so he ended up convincing Jason to steal the car. And that's what led to all of this. Um, and that's, that's the story of Into the Abyss. Wow. Yeah. That's rough, dude. I know. I am still stuck on how many people the state of Texas executed that yeah. year. That's really what got me. Yeah. Like, that's what they, like, show at the end is, yeah. like, what Michael Perry, like, what his execution was like and then how many people the state of Texas yeah. actually executed. Where, like, I never really, like, thought about the death penalty until that moment and I realized, like, holy moly, that's yeah. a lot of people it's a lot of people and I bet it's disproportionately people who are poor and people mm-hmm. of color. Yeah. Um, like what those guys did is indefensible. I'm not like defending Absolutely, that in any yeah. way, but like, like we become the monsters we fear when we yeah. like support policies like yeah. that. Um, because especially because like our criminal justice system is imperfect and like people are wrongfully convicted and if you don't have money like you're shit out of luck and so just like those factors alone like even if i thought it was a moral thing to yeah to like execute someone which i i don't like yeah like those factors alone right like yeah like even if even if i did think that executing somebody was justified yeah like i would never feel confident enough yeah yeah. Unless I like saw the person do it. Right. But knowing that like we imprison innocent people all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like it's just not worth it. Yeah. What is I think on MFM uh I heard Karen talk about a series once on like ID or like something that's called like Rich and Acquitted. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um I've never watched it. I've never watched it either, but she was talking but about it's like so perfect. It's like if you're rich, you will be acquitted. Or like if you're rich, you'll get like you won't die yeah. like you might go to if it's really bad you'll go to prison for the rest of your life but the like yeah and it's also i mean most state a lot of states the death penalty is all but like not functional right yeah. um but that's just such a high high yeah. number in texas and i i, th- I think because at the time i didn't like because i know in california like we put people on death row but right we never really execute no. people they die on death row yeah yeah so I think in my mind, I always thought like death row was like a metaphor. Right, right. Like we didn't actually execute people. Yeah, but Texas but really Texas does. Texas really does. Yeah. And even like so fast, like mm-hmm. nine years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. 
I can't believe we didn't talk about this beforehand. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to take a slightly lighter turn from That's what we've fine. been talking Let's about. That's fine. Let's be done with this. But so when I was home, I was looking through some old paperwork of my dad's, like we've talked oh about God. earlier. But in it was a paper that he wrote in high school on like for a social studies class on crime. And my dad, I was reading it out loud to my dad and we were crying. We were laughing so hard because here's like my 17 year old dad. And it's one of those papers that you can tell he had to reach a word count. So like he's just saying it's just words Uh that have like you could tell what he's trying to say, but he's like fluffing it up so much just trying to meet this word count. And he's like, crime is on the rise. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, 1980 or 1981 or something. And he's like he makes actually a few good points but he's so like cut and dry it's so my dad who's very like no bs let's do this that and the other thing he's like okay first thing we're gonna let everybody out of prison who's not in there for a violent crime which i could get behind yeah um but he's like everybody else we're bringing back the capital punishment oh my god and i was just like dad like reading this and and in his paper he goes we're bringing back capital punishment no appeals (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) There's no appeals and people will be executed 30 days after their sentence. And he goes, the 30 days is to allow to make sure that there were no mistakes made. Yes. And because it will take 30 days. It will take 30 days. And like his teacher in pen is like, is this enough time? (laughs) Bless that teacher's heart. And then like, he's, you know, he's talking about crime, da, da, da. And he goes, I know that this is going to feel like a hard line stance. And he talks about all this stuff. And then at the end, he's like, crime. Like it's in like all caps oh my God. with all these exclamation oh points. And he's like, what will, like, what is there to do? <laughs> it's like Alan L. Schwartz. Oh my gosh. We were crying. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. Is he like me where like word counts are so hard? Like he's just straight to the point And then it's like. I said it once. Please don't make me say it again. Uh, my dad was a less than committed student. Got it. So like he's smart like you. Yeah. But like he could. He it. was. He half asked it. He was like captain of the hockey team. That's all that mattered. Um, and, but he got like an if, A on this paper. If you live in America, captain of the hockey team is equivalent to football. In, in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you live in America, what are you talking about? Because your dad basically lived in Canada. Oh, I mean, more or less. I mean, Minnesota is basically Canada. Yeah. But yeah, it was like the biggest deal that could be. Um, But yeah, it was hilarious. Like, just the fact that his teacher was like, is this enough time? I cried. It was amazing. Um, But yeah, I was definitely like flashing back to grad school when I was like, it's like that Parks and Rec meme where Ron Swanson is like, I'm going to type every word I know. Like the last paper I wrote was totally like that. I every single paper struggled so hard. Yeah. Because I like and Ryan will tell you it for better or for worse. I'm so concise. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan says, says for, for worse. worse. But they say that the mark of a good writer is to say what you need to say in the least amount of words possible. Which yeah. when you're trying to grade people's papers is not really helpful. But yeah, that it is the mark of a good writer yeah. to like be concise, but also like impactful. Well, I'm a great writer. You are a great writer, so. Emily. That was actually the best thing a teacher ever told me was like at the end of class one day. And it was when I was in at LMU for getting my teaching credential. It was like, Mary, because he called me Mary because I don't ever correct my teachers. Sure. It's like, you're a really good writer. I really enjoyed writing your essays. And like growing up, I was always told that writing is my area of improvement. I was just like, Aww. thank you so much. I don't even remember the teacher's name. but And that changes everything yeah. when a teacher that believes in you if like says that they... Yeah. Professor X. Professor X. Sure. Okay. Well, are you ready for the story? Yeah. Can I get some more wine, Ryan? Wine in. Um, we've got our dear, dear friends, Anne and Kelsey in the studio. And this is just my reminder that they've got to come up with a detox question for us when I'm done with this story. Oh, yeah. um, uh, a- Emily and I ask each other questions to get our minds off heinous things, but kind of like get to know each other. Icebreaker questions. But until then, I'm going to tell you the story of Camilla Mobley. So let's go. Let's just go right in. Wait. Okay. So I'm, I want to tell you the name of the director oh, please. of the thing. Please do. His name is Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. He did the a first. I, I, I would hope so. Yeah. He did a bunch of other things that aren't necessarily related to crime, but. Okay. Into the abyss. That's him. Yeah. Werner okay. Herzog. Okay. So on July 10th, 1998, 
16-year-old Shannara Mobley gave birth to a baby girl in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and named her Camilla. So while she's recovering from labor in her hospital room, right, as you could tell me, is that how that happens? Yeah, that's yeah. how that happens. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> I, at least for me. I don't want to speak for Yeah, everyone, you can't speak. You know? Don't, like, generalize. Um, so she's in her room after delivering her, her baby, Camilla, and a woman uh, wearing a blue smock with flowers and surgical gloves enters the room, a hospital worker, right? And she begins to talk to the young mother and is checking on the baby, perfectly standard, um, all standard activities when after a baby is born. So the mother, Shannara, asks the woman to place her daughter in the baby carrier next to her bed. Like, I don't think carrier, maybe more like a bassinet or something. Sure. Um, but instead, the nurse wraps uh, the baby in a blanket and says that she thinks the baby has a fever. And so she needed to take her to go take her temperature. Oh, no. Shannara Mobley was not alarmed, believing that the woman was a hospital employee, probably a nurse, um, while hospital staff saw her and thought that she was a relative of the Mobleys. Oh, no. She was neither. And or else I wouldn't be telling you the yeah. story. And before anyone realized what had happened, she disappeared with eight hour old Camilla. Huh. So once the family in the hospital realized what had happened, the authorities went into high alert. They searched the hospital and surrounding areas. Helicopters were brought in and roadblocks were set up. But baby Camilla was nowhere to be found. And it wasn't long before this story was national news. Please bring my baby back, Shannara Mobley later cried during a television interview. If you were faking a pregnancy or you just can't have kids, how do you think I feel? That's my first child. The mom is also 16. Like, oh, this would be tragic and horrible. I missed that. Yeah, she's 16. Tragic and horrible on it, no matter what your age, yeah. but she's a baby having a baby. Yeah. And her baby is stolen. So. I hate, ba I hate baby stories. Don't. I won't spoil I it. Don't but, say okay. anything. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they the authorities are able to get f like grainy security video uh, footage like from the hospital security system. And they saw a woman who they estimated was between the ages of 25 and 35. They think wearing glasses and a wig, which yikes. yikes. She was dressed in a floral blue smock and green scrub pants. And but because Camilla was eight hours old, there are no photographs of her. So investigators had no other option other than to circulate a computer-generated image based in part on a DNA sample taken from Camilla at birth. What year did you say this was? 98. Oh, okay. I'm picturing 89 no, 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 in my no, no, mind. No. I was like, wow. But also, I have questions about, is that like standard that they take DNA tests from babies? Oh yeah, that's a good question. And and I just kind of assumed that it, like, oh, the d they got the mom's DNA, but that wouldn't make but sense. But that would either. only be half of it. Because then my other question then is where is that kept? Because it's not like it goes into a criminal database. So I got questions for Maybe the good people of Jacksonville. At, was it was this at the point where they could get DNA out of like urine? Yeah, or maybe that could be something or like the umbilical cord or yeah, I don't know. I think the umbilical cord has the baby's DNA in it. Well, I'm a doctor. You so. are a doctor. That's true. Actually, Kelsey, do you know that? Kelsey is a scientist. Does uh, do umbilical cords have the baby's DNA in it? She says yes. Um, but she said, "Don't quote me on that." <laughs> but she's she's a science doctor, so she <laughs> she is a science doctor. <laughs> Quick sidebar: You want to know the craziest thing I heard on? Uh, the podcast the murder squad today which is i highly yeah. recommend paul holes billy jensen um Heroes. they were talking about how there's only one documented case of this but a police officer who got a bone marrow transplant like so he was he was dying he was getting a bone marrow transplant to try and save his life and his cop buddy who also was like new things about forensics was like i'm gonna take a swab of your dna before this bone marrow transplant and then i'm gonna take a swab of your dna <laughs> after? after this bone marrow transplant and he, his inner cheek swab and his semen were the DNA of the bone marrow donor. How? But here's the thing. His chest hair, the DNA taken from like the root of his chest hair was still his DNA. 
because bone marrow like that goes into your bloodstream right so like your saliva yeah and but i guess maybe like eventually so it's hard to say because it's just this one person yeah. that has ever one been in this situation and then also like had a forensic person look at yeah. it because and because then um paul holes who's like a forensic detective basically he solved golden state killer yeah. case like he's all into forensics was like technically if that semen holds the dna of the of the donor if he had a baby it would be the donor's baby is My that eyes are so wide is that not the craziest thing i hate that because now that's a loophole for crime if your dna yeah that too but also i hate the baby thing and i don't he can't have his own kids. well see i don't know if it like goes away like does it wear yeah, off i don't know. i don't i I don't know. Or is it just like has to be the right circumstances for she's not Kelsey's not going to know even though she's a science doctor because <laughs> this is this like, is a brand Kelsey's new phenomena. A science doctor, she might know. Oh yeah, what is it? Dr. Google. <gasps> okay, yeah, so the umbilical so cord does have the DNA the, of the baby according to science doctor Kelsey. Yes, cuz the umbilical cord and the placenta grow out of the embryo there which you go. is the baby. Okay. Yeah, woof. Okay, but we should get back to that story. We can talk about That's that. That's a freaky sidebar I had I to tell you. I apologize. Um you, to our three listeners. To our to our moms. Carly and our moms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, they do a computer generated sketch from the DNA taken from her at birth. Authorities also issue police sketches of the kidnapping suspect because they do have the grainy footage, but nothing substantial comes from the investigation, despite there being a significant reward offered. And there are like every year memorial vigils being held to keep the story alive. How many years has it been? It, a lot of years. Okay. We'll keep you'll find okay, out. Sorry. Um, so Shannara was forced to keep going about her life as if she had not had a child. That sucks. That's horrifying. So it wasn't until the year of our Lord, 2016, when in South Carolina, junior in high school, Alexis Manigo went to apply for a part-time job. And when filling out the paperwork, was asked to provide her social security number. She went to ask her mother, a woman named Gloria Williams, for that information when the woman she had never, ever doubted was her mother confessed that she had kidnapped her. What? As a baby. I can't believe she gave it up so easy. Yeah. Like, maybe it was more difficult than than these stories lead to believe, but basically everything I read was like, she asked for her social security number, and she was like, you got me. You got me. Um, I just, like, can't believe that... Maybe it was because it had been so many years, and it had just been, like, building on her. Maybe. Or maybe... Like, couldn't you say, like, lost your social security card? Like, I don't... I don't understand. So, Gloria, Gloria Williams, confesses to Alexis slash... Camille, uh, that in 1998, she had driven from South Carolina to Florida, posed as a nurse, and abducted Camille from her birth mother's arms. At the time of the abduction, according to Williams, she was in an abusive relationship, she had lost custody of her two young sons, and had recently suffered a miscarriage. When she brought Camille back to South Carolina, she passed her off as her biological daughter and raised her in what neighbors, friends, and family would later say was like a really average, not suspicious life. Why did she think that that would solve her problems? Nothing about this makes sense. So Camille knew... Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. I meant to ask this too. Go for it. So wait, she... Did she go back to the same like house and neighborhood that she was living in before or just I don't know. I think she was from South Carolina, but I don't know that she went back to the same to the same. But also like it sounds like her life was really rough around that time. Like maybe she maybe like friends and family were used to not seeing her for a while. And and it also in what I read, it sounds like she got custody of her two boys back eventually and like raised her daughter and her sons. And they lived like she was a social worker like they lived this like normal life. Okay. So Camille knew that what Gloria Williams had done was illegal, obviously, and devastating, but she also didn't want to lose the person. Yeah. That to her, that's her mom. She's 16, right? Like that's her mom. That's it. Oh my God. Um, so she, for a while she keeps it to herself. So according to a local South Carolina newspaper, the post and courier, 
Camille slash Alexis and Gloria never discussed the subject again, but the teenager did search online for information about her kidnapping. So that same year, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office reported receiving two anonymous tips about Camille from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. According to an affidavit by police, the first tip claimed that Camille had told a friend that mm. she was abducted as an infant and technically listed as a missing person. So my guess is like that friend was like, mom and dad, like, what my do I do? Said this. Right. Yeah. Like, what do I do with this piece of information? The second tip, I don't know what to think, like where it came from. The second tip reportedly said Williams had admitted to taking Camille from the hospital. So maybe like once the dam broke, Gloria yeah. like told someone else um, and yeah. they like called that tip in. Um, so in January of 2017, investigators examined a birth certificate and social security card used by Alexis, which I don't know where those came from all of a sudden. Yeah, because then why didn't the mom just say, here's your social security card? Well, maybe like they were so fake that she knew it wouldn't get passed. Got it. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, used by Alexis and determined the documents were fake. Authorities then collected a DNA swab from Alexis and checked it against the sample taken from Camille when she was a newborn. And it matched. So in February of 2018, 52-year-old Gloria Williams was arrested and charged with kidnapping. The day of Williams' arrest was also the first day that Shannara Mobley finally learned that her firstborn was alive and safe. Camille traveled to Florida to meet her biological mother, father, and five younger siblings and began to build relationships with them. But at the same time, she maintained relationships with the people she'd known as her older brothers and grandparents in South Carolina, as well as Gloria Williams, who is her kidnapper, but also her mom. Yeah. So according to investigation discovery, in court, Williams confessed to dressing as a nurse, abducting Camille, and keeping her away from her biological parents. She also confirmed that she told Camille the truth about it in 2016. Williams told the court that she, quote, had no plans to steal a baby that day, uh, which seems unlikely considering that you walked into a hospital outside of your home state dressed as a nurse and went to the maternity ward. You just happened to find yourself there. Right. Like there, I didn't plan to like eat an entire carton of Tillamook mudslide ice cream today. Sometimes these things just happen. But like this requires planning. Yeah. Anyway. She said that she considered at various times over the years giving Camille back, but figured she would eventually get caught. So maybe that was like when... I'll just eventually get caught. I'll give her back then. Well, and it seems like she was like, okay, this this jig is going to be up eventually. And so maybe when Alexis came to her and was like, I need my social security number, she was like almost relieved. Yeah. Because if she's going to go off to college or like get married, she's going to need paperwork. things, yeah. Anyway... Um, so it was learned that a week before Camille's birth, Williams had suffered a miscarriage, which is what most people uh, believe to be her motive. So in court, um, Gloria turned to Camille's parents, Shannara Mobley and Craig Aiken, and apologized, saying, I know I can't give you back the 18 years. If I could, I would. Speaking directly to Camille, Williams said, I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to cause you any harm, any pain, any of that. I'm sorry. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. I tried to love you the best way I could. Williams received 18 years behind bars for kidnapping and five years on custodial interference. Judge Marianne Aho ordered both sentences served concurrently. So I'm trying to think concurrently is, oh, like one after the other, not consecutively, like you're serving time for both. So that's. No, concurrently is at the same time. Oh, you're right. It's the opposite yeah. of what I just said. Yeah. You're right. Okay, so she's serving the five, so the five eight, years. Don't yeah. really count. Yeah, so it's basically 18. So we, as of January 2017, the New York Daily News reported that Camille continues to have a strong relationship with Gloria Williams and still refers to her as Mama, saying that, quote, she raised me with everything I needed and most of all, everything I wanted. My mother is no felon. The ignorant ones won't understand that. Keep a lookout in 2020. Lifetime will premiere the drama. Uh, will premiere the drama. Robin Roberts presents "Stolen by My Mother: The Camilla Mobley Story," along with a companion documentary about the case. Yes. Uh, so that is the story of the abduction of Camilla Mobley and her eventual return. It's got <sighs> everything: kidnapping, teenage pregnancy, DNA, moms behind bars, Lifetime movie, Lifetime movie, and Doc. 
Robin Roberts. Thing yeah. You could ask all the for. things. That reminds me, there's an SVU episode that's similar to that of like a woman who was doing like IVF. The doctor like stole one of her eggs. I just you know watched that about? the other day. And so like the the egg gets implanted in somebody else and the woman whose egg it was her real child dies and then sees this other kid on the street that looks exactly like her kid that dies and so they like go to court and it's determined that like biologically that kid is hers and so the judge is asking the kid like well who like who do you want to live with and the kid is like i don't know that lady yeah she's five she's like i want my mommy i want my mom which is the lady who's not her biological mom but the judge is like that's too bad you they have no legal like standing you have to go you have to go live with this other lady and the kid is crying so hard that the biological mom is like i'm not gonna do this because that's a parental instinct to make sure your child is happy that's nuts i can't isn't that wild fathom wild i can't even like yeah so those situations stress me out so much my heart is racing so fast because i'm like Kimmy was raised by this woman like I would be so broken if I found out that my mom wasn't my mom and some other stranger was my mom because I feel so bad that like it's one thing to find out you were adopted it's another thing to find out you were kidnapped yeah it's very different um so those are our horror stories for the night yeah and Kelsey do we have a detox question Oh, Kelsey was doing something productive for society while we are a lesson for children to learn about while we are drinking wine and talking to each other about horror. So, um, let's see. Trying to think, trying to think. Do you have a question that you ask your, this is fantastic material. This in between time, the in betwixt. Um, Oh, that's a great one. That is a good one. Do you want to ask it in the microphone here? Anne. Do either or both of you have a cool scar story? That's a good one. Thank Thank you, you, Annie. Uh, Emily, do you have a cool scar story? I have a giant scar on my face, so I can tell you that story. Don't don't wear for here. Oh, okay. How did that happen? Don't wear. (laughs) Don't all wear. I didn't see that. It's giant on my forehead. (laughs) Where did it come from? So I was five, Mm -hmm. and it was near Christmas time. So my mom was out Christmas shopping. My brother's like three. My dad is, like, getting us ready for bed. I'm, like, all ready for bed in my pajamas and everything and just, like, kind of, you know, whatever, or bugging my dad and my brother. And my brother is getting his teeth brushed by my father. So my dad is (laughs) – Ryan's whispering stuff. Distracted me. My dad is on his knees in the bathroom, like, brushing my – helping my brother brush his teeth. And so my dad's, like – calves are out and I decide to go into the bathroom and I trip over my dad's feet and smack my face on the toilet no ow on the toilet it's a it's good you didn't like crack your head open I kind of did yeah my dad said it looked like when you throw an orange at the ground no 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 I hate that (laughs) and you were five I was five did you go to the hospital and get stitches yeah my dad left my three-year-old brother at the house and ran next door with me like lifeless in his arms bleeding from my face and like went to the neighbors and head wounds like that bleed so so much much. my dad was freaking out ran to the neighbors and was like i don't know what to do and the our neighbor our the neighbor was a doctor oh (laughs) ryan wasn't there but he knows forming me ryan our neighbor was a doctor he gave my dad a frag a f- frozen bag of peas <laughs> a frag of peas <laughs> a fragging bag of peas the wine um and like i remember like kind of seeing their fish tank in their entryway and then being in like the back seat of the car with my dad and this was in the 90s my parents didn't have cell phones so yeah. my mom was out christmas shopping and came home. Oh, here comes a train. Yeah. To our neighbor's wife. So our other neighbor. Like, don't freak out. Adam's asleep. Emily and Paul are at the hospital. Oh, my gosh. 
And I remember, like, waking up and seeing, like, blue. Like, you know, like, the blue, like, hospital stuff that they, like, put on you? They had put it, like, over my eyes. Oh, my gosh. So I was just, like, could see, like, blue, but then could also see, like, hands. And I remember seeing the doctors, like, those scissor things that they use. Nope, 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 Like, the clamp things. No, thanks. I had 24 stitches. Oh, my gosh. And had to wear, like, a giant gauze helmet thing for, like, two weeks. Sweet baby Emily. I know. Wow. Good question, Annie. Um, There are photos of the gauze, but not of the, not of the incident. <laughs> not the my dad stopped to take, <laughs> he take, didn't, take he some didn't pics think with to, a Polaroid. To take some pics. Wow. That's amazing. I know. Hmm. I'm glad glad you survived scar story. Well, I think asking if I have a scar assumes that I've ever done anything (laughs) in my life, like physically active enough to actually give me a scar. I fell. I mean, that's true. That's true. (laughs) I wasn't doing much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't, I don't have a scar from this, but the one and only bone I've ever broken is, um, when I was two, um, I, like you know so we were like at a heading to like a family reunion in southern oregon and we were staying at a hotel and apparently i was like running around the edge of the pool at the hotel (gasps) and you know how when kids fall like they break their fall with their arms well apparently the story goes that like i did that and i cried really hard but my parents were like brush it off champ and um they're like then you stop crying about it and it was fine so like some weeks go on some weeks go on and like i was kind of favoring it but they're like she's fine and then we were at our house our first house in newburgh and this is a real good it's a good uh, susan story uh because my mom was on the phone and i was sitting on the bathroom counter and i fell off the bathroom counter oh, while she was on the no. phone being negligent and I like didn't stop crying about it. So they took me to the hospital and they're like, your child has broken her arm. And um, so I had this itty bitty pink cast. Aww. And I also like at this point, my head not grown into my head yet. <laughs> um, and so you can see like uh, pictures of me. I have like very little hair and my head is enormous. And I've got this itty bitty pink cast. And my mom said that people glared at her in the grocery store for like eight yeah. weeks because they thought she had like hit her two year old. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any scars from that. I don't really have scars from anything. Uh, but, uh, I mean like except emotional ones. Yeah. Um, like the time my mom let me fall off the bathroom counter. So wait, did you break your arm by the pool or falling off the counter? Well, that's the question now, isn't it? It might've been like double whammy, finally broke it, like maybe sprained it at the pool. And then while my mom was gabbing into our, because we had one of those phones that was like the long, 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 like curly cord and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I also broke my arm and my parents didn't believe me. So they didn't take me to the doctor for like a week. It's a wonder we turned out. Okay. I know. And I kept saying my arm hurts and they're like, you're fine. (laughs) You're fine. And they were like, finally, they were like, fine, we'll take you to the doctor and we will prove to you that you are fine. My gosh. I was like, her wrist is broken. Wow. So bad. I still guilt them about it. Tootie and Paul. Paul. Tootie and Paul. Paul and Tootie. Tootie and Paul. Well, this has been great. This has been wonderful. Um, uh, to Tootie and Paul. To Tootie and Paul. And to and Susan and Alan. And Susan and Alan. Cheers. a clink of plastic.